0: Good morning. Um, as Steve said earlier, for those of you who are new or newish, my name is Chris. I'm not the pastor or an elder. I'm kind of the third string they pull in here sometimes. So if you make any judgments on our church today, don't necessarily go by the sermon this morning. Give, give us a chance. Uh, but sometimes the third stringers pull it out, right? And They, they can win the game. So, all right. Um, we've been going through a series on the kingdom of God and we've been looking at parables in Luke, so we're going to continue to do that. The parable we're looking at today is in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. But before I get into that, I thought about it. And I'm thinking, maybe we need to define a little bit what we mean by the kingdom of God. What, what, what are we talking about when you say kingdom of God? And I'll be honest with you, that's a hard question to answer. Uh, there is no verse... Which actually defines, at least for me, well, what is the kingdom of God? But there are a lot of verses about it. There are a lot of parables and stories and allusions. So I want to share one with you here. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 through 29. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. Now, pay attention to that. His voice comes, it shakes the earth, and those things that can be removed, those things that can be shaken are going to be removed. That is things that have been made. The created things, the things we see. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So I want you to think about what, what things cannot be shaken, what things aren't made. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom That cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So, this is what I get from that the kingdom of God resides in the unseen. It's the things that aren't made, the things that cannot be shaken and destroyed. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me, let me give you another example. This is from a movie, actually. Uh, it's from the movie Braveheart. I don't know if you guys remember that movie at all, I, can't, I don't know if I can endorse that movie from the pulpit, but um, I watched it for cultural research. Uh, I learned that justification from our Sunday school class, by the way. Right, right. First string, get away. Okay. So, but anyway, in the movie. You got you got this Scottish guy, William Wallace. Uh, him and his countrymen are about to go into a big battle, uh, but his countrymen are starting to get afraid, and they're going to walk away. So he he gives this great, big, long speech, right? A real rallying speech. It's building up, building up to the very end until he he says this phrase here at the end. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best with this phrase, right? I'm gonna give it all I got, but I need your help because in the movie he says this phrase, and the whole army cheers and roars and yay, you know, they're all with them. So I'm going to do the best I can with this phrase here. If I can ask you guys to do the best you can with the, like a real rallying war cry afterwards, okay, um, it's going to be uncomfortable for you, but believe me, it's more uncomfortable for me. So, all right, ready? Should I do it with a Scottish accent? Yeah? <laughs> you may take our lives, but you will never take our freedom! <laughs> all right, Woo! Good, because I didn't want to have to do that again. So thank you, guys. (laughs) So, okay, so what's he saying here, right? He's bringing a distinction between the seen and the unseen. Our lives, our physical bodies can be taken away from us, but there's something they cannot take away, an unseen thing. In this case, it's freedom. No matter what they do to us, I can live in a state of mind where I am not a slave to England. That's what he's saying, right? It's an unseen thing. So the kingdom of God is made of these unseen things. So with that as our background, let's get into our reading. It's in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed, and what fell from the rich man's table But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that they may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Oh, I'm sorry. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So there's there's really three things I want to pull out today from this passage. The first is, you have enough evidence in your life to believe in kingdom reality. We like to think, either for ourselves or for someone else, if this miraculous thing would just happen God, if you would just do this in my life, you would prove to me your existence. You would prove to me that you are real, the kingdom we're talking about is real, and I would be full force for you. Or that person would be on fire for you. If you would just prove it to them. And what Jesus is saying here in this parable is that you have all the evidence you need. If you don't believe the evidence you have, if the world around you, the physical things, if your activities distract you so much from the unseen things which you know exist, love, faithfulness, all those unseen things, if you're so distracted from them that that you choose the other physical things, nothing's going to prove otherwise to you. You have all the evidence you need to make kingdom decisions. That's the first thing I want to bring out from there. The second one is your decisions have a deadline, right? The man's separated from a great chasm, and he doesn't have the opportunity to make a new decision. We have this whole life to choose how we're going to live, to choose to live in the kingdom or not. And once that deadline happens, that deadline being death, Those decisions are are set in stone. They're they're done. What's the decision we're making? Well, the real decision we're making is which kingdom are you going to serve? The seen kingdom, which has many rulers, many temptations, even yourself being the ruler of that, or the unseen kingdom, which Christ is in charge of. Which kingdom are you going to serve? There is a deadline to that decision, and none of us know when that deadline is. Some people through medical science have been given a more of an estimate time of when that deadline might be, but we have many proofs in our congregation today that even they get it wrong. We don't know when the deadline is. You could be driving down CY and get hit by a car. It could happen. So there's an urgency here, right, in this parable. There's an urgency of... There's a point where you cannot go back on. You choose now which kingdom you will serve. The second thing here, as far as deadline goes, is this idea of the people that go to hell. And we wrestled with this question in Sunday school, and I want to come at this from a kingdom perspective. The question is, if God is such a loving God, why would he send anyone to hell? So I want to look at this from a kingdom perspective. Think of a kingdom. You've got a king, maybe a castle, maybe a moat. If it's a, if it's a legendary kingdom, maybe some dragons somewhere. But whatever, you've got a kingdom, right? And then let's say you have this little country over here that decides, hey, we don't want to live according to the rules of the kingdom. We don't trust the king. We don't like the king. We're going to do our own thing. So what do they do? They, they rise up. They rebel. They fight. The king comes with his army. They fight the rebels. They squash the rebels. What do you do with the rebels? You can't let them go because they're just going to incite more countries to fight against you. Of course, if we're talking about the kingdom of God, there's nowhere else for them to go because his kingdom covers the whole earth. You can't, you can't just let them live back in your kingdom because they're just going to cause havoc and make it impossible for the people who want to enjoy the kingdom to enjoy it. They're going to cause a lot of problems. So what do you do with the rebels? Well, you either make them slaves or you put them in a dungeon. You separate them from the presence of the kingdom. Why? Because they don't want to be a part of the kingdom, and they don't act like they want to be a part of the kingdom. Why do people go to hell? Because hell is the place reserved for the separation from God's presence. Not that God in his omniscience isn't active in hell, but you or whoever goes there is separated from the feeling of his presence. He's the king. He has a kingdom. You don't want to be a part of that kingdom. You've made your choice. What else has God to do with you? He's actually, in part, respecting the decisions of people who don't want to be with him. Here you go. Well, that's horrible because isn't hell a bad place? Right. Why is it a bad place? Because everything we know that is good in this world, the hope we have, the love we feel, the good things, they are from the presence of God. So when you remove God's presence, which includes his laws, his moral commands, his his obedience, when you remove his presence, you also remove all the good things that come with that. His love, his kindness, his hope, his faithfulness. You know to be in relationship with someone. You can't marry someone and pick and choose what characteristics you want them to bring to that marriage. You either take all of somebody or nothing of somebody. So if you don't want God... If you don't want God's standards, if you don't want God's judgments, if you don't want God's kingship over your life, you're not going to get his love either. You're not going to get his faithfulness. You're not going to get his protection. That's what hell is. It's a complete removal of all things good that come from God. And that's the choice people make when they say, I don't want to be a part of that kingdom. There is no hope there. And this rich man knows there's no hope. And so this is what he says. He says, if Lazarus could just dip his finger in that water, put it on my tongue, please. You know, I, I think the reason he says that is because he wants some remembrance of hope, that there is something good, that something might good might happen. If I could just feel water on my tongue, I could live a little longer on that hope that something good is there. But what's the response? No. Can you imagine living so hopeless that not only is there no hope for good tomorrow, but tomorrow lasts forever, for eternity? This is the the weight happening in this parable. So there's a deadline to our decisions, and it is an important decision. Which kingdom are you going to live in? Is your decision to live a life in service of Christ, in service of the King, of the kingdom of the unseen, of the kingdom of the spiritual, or is it to live in service of the ruler of this world? And your decision has a deadline. The third thing I want to talk about today from this parable, what we do right now affects our kingdom experience. What we do right now affects our kingdom experience. Jesus Christ is the king of the kingdom. And you know what? His kingship has started, which means his kingdom is happening. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, this is God putting everything in subjection to Jesus Christ, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, We do not see everything in subjection to him. This is that unseen kingdom we're talking about. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Jesus Christ's death has happened. Therefore, his crowning of glory and honor has happened. His kingdom is happening so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Everything is subject to Christ. So, if, if he is the king now, then his kingdom is now. But how come he constantly says that his kingdom is at hand or near or coming? How come, if Christ is now the reigning king of this world, we've not seen it vanquished, see his kingdom in the reality that it is? I don't know if you've noticed my clothes today. If you have, you're either very polite. Or you like to laugh at me behind your back because you haven't told me that I got paint on my pants. These clothes are actually my work clothes for our house. Many of you know we're building a house right now, um, and so these clothes are actually the clothes I wore yesterday. Uh, I would have worn them fresh from yesterday's work, but Hannah wanted to wash them, so you can thank her for that. But there is still paint on my clothes I got. Now I painted on my. I dealt with paint yesterday, although we didn't get any. No painting happened yesterday, right? And I don't know if you've ever been in house projects like this where you've got a plan, you know what you want to get done, and it just doesn't happen that way, right? Even the professionals, I'm looking around, they're shaking their head. Yep, that's exactly how it goes, right? So this is how it is. These are my work clothes. So what we're doing right now at their house is we're, we're working hard. It's a mess. It's a disaster. I'm getting messy. Things go right. Things go wrong. We're making mistakes. We've got to repair them. We're making decisions for the long haul. We're making decisions, how is my experience in my house going to feel 5, 10, 15 years down the road? What do I have to do now to make sure I have a good experience later on, right? We're at the foundational level of building our house, and it's hard, and it's messy. What if the kingdom of God is like that? What if you are the stones right now God is building his kingdom with, and right now is the hard work, the messiness the messing up and asking for forgiveness and building the relational connections, working in this world, building the unseen things that Jesus is building His kingdom on. Does that sound familiar? Maybe remind you of some other passages in the Bible that it talks about? What we do right now affects our kingdom experience because we are living in the kingdom right now. Even if it doesn't feel like it, Because after death, I believe it's going to be a completely new context. But I believe what we do now affects our experience after death. Why else would Jesus say, hey, don't focus on building treasures, on building a kingdom where this world, this rust, this moth, this dust can corrupts. Don't worry about that. Don't focus on that. But build for yourself treasures in heaven. So you mean what I do now actually affects my experience in heaven? Well, it seems to be the case, Right? Why else would he tell us? That? Otherwise, we don't need to worry about heaven, because once we die, we're all going to have the exact same experience. But if that's true, why is Jesus saying, No? Worry about what you're doing now that affects the kingdom of heaven. Build treasure now. First Corinthians chapter three, verses ten through thirteen. This is Paul speaking. First Corinthians three, ten through thirteen. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus, the king, the beginning, the head of the kingdom. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, that day of judgment, that day when everything is shaken, the things that can be destroyed will be destroyed. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. That's humbling, huh? If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Well, if the work is all different, do you think all the rewards will be the same, or do you think they might be a little different? If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. We are in a foundational moment in the kingdom of God right now. These clothes, there goes my mic, these clothes represent the point in the kingdom that we're at. We're in the building process. We're adding to the building of Christ's kingdom and we have a part in that. We have a place in that. And after the day of judgment comes, we're going to reap some of the benefits of that. We're going to receive a reward. We're going to have treasure stored up if your actions, decisions are focused on kingdom things and not just physical world things. You can live in this world and be very comfortable. The rich man shows us this. You can be very comfortable in this world and have nothing stored up after, the, after death. What we have or don't have in this world has nothing to do with what we're going to have or not have after, the, after this day of judgment comes. Now, I believe that it doesn't matter what you have stored in heaven. If you're in heaven with Christ and the King, it's going to be good, right? I mean, it's not going to be negative in any way. But I also believe that our experiences are going to be different. And I I do think that we are at a foundational phase that what we do here and now affects our kingdom experience. That gives us a little more motivation, right, to obey some of the commandments, like love each other as Christ loves us. That, that, that puts a little more weight to, to don't do your brother wrong or harm. It also puts more weight to when you wrong somebody, go and ask forgiveness. Because it's not just right here and now. It's not just having a good relationship with somebody. It's building kingdom things with the unseen things that we deal with. Oftentimes, I can't find a better closing than Scripture itself. So I want to close with an entire chapter. Um, so as the worship team comes up, I'm going to close with Peter's closing to 2 Peter. It's chapter 3, and he really seems to just sum up everything I just said. So you guys could have just skipped this whole sermon and gone and read 2 Peter chapter 3, but there you go. I'm telling you that at the end. I'll read it here for you. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you. Beloved, in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days of scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is this promise of this coming? You say it's an unseen kingdom. Well, yeah, anyone can say that. It's not here yet. Where is the promise of this coming? All I see are the created things. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing on as they were from the beginning of creation. But they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God. And that by means of these, the world then existed, was deluged with water and perished. But by the same Word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. We feel like this is taking a long time, like this foundational phase is lasting forever. But it's not with God. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. What does it mean He's patient towards you? It means He's giving you opportunity to help Him build a kingdom. That's pretty patient. He's not slow to fulfill His promise, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, because there's a deadline to our decisions, and He's holding off that deadline for some of us, but that all should reach repentance. Repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness dwells. What is righteousness? Righteousness is one of those unseen things I'm talking about. I think we're going to experience stuff like that in a more tangible way than we even know is possible. This is why there's There's no real distinct wording in the Bible of what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is because it's about things we can't see, we can't wrap our fingers around, we can't smell, we can't taste. We're we're a, we're a culture, we're an era of scientific people, right? We're enlightened. We only believe what we see. Well, how can God explain to us what the kingdom of heaven is when we only believe what we see? Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in grace unseen and knowledge unseen of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.